Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Loving God, as we turn our attention now to uh, your Word revealed to us through Scripture, um, soften our hearts, uh, open our minds to what you would have to say to us, and... um, May the words of my mouth, may our thoughts and meditations be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. (laughs) Uh, So, you see the screen behind me. Have you ever been driving down the road? And of course, we're always in a hurry to be somewhere. Maybe you're going to a meeting. Uh, If you have kids, you're... You need to pick them up from school or soccer practice or where else do we rush off to? The theater. We've got movie tickets. We've got to get to the theater. And you're driving down and all of a sudden you see that sign. Caution, work in progress. And you're like, ugh. And then you're like, you know, am I feeling lucky today? Like, do you continue? Do you, do you, re- do you like reroute and go, go another way, or you're like, I don't know, because there's always that, that work crew guy with the sign that's like, you know, 50-50 chance. You're going to be stopped, or you're going to just continue on slowly. Uh, I know, yeah, this, of course, this has happened to many of us. It's happened to me, and I, you know, I, just talking about it, my anxiety starts going up because I get a little claustrophobic. I'm like, I think I'm going to go for it, and then all of a sudden, the car in front of me stops as the sign's turning. I'm like, no! And then I look in the rear view mirror and I see all the cars stacking up behind me. And then it's like, well, can I get out to my right? And it's like, no, there's a curb. And should I t- make a U-turn? And then it's like, no, the cars are coming. And it's like, ah, right? And then it occurred to me, these work crews are actually doing things in our community to improve our community. And what, like, if I show up to the, to the movies five minutes late, oh, I, I missed a preview. You know, I, I get to the soccer practice and coach is still talking with the kids. Five minutes of inconvenience to me. And uh, I don't know, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, that two-lane road may be a four-lane road. And what is five minutes of inconvenience now, may, I don't know, I might show up to the theater two months from now, ten minutes early, because they actually improved our community. Sometimes we're in such a rush to get to our destination that we don't appreciate the improvements that are happening in our very midst. Let me say that again. Sometimes we're in such a rush to get to where we need to go that we don't even appreciate the improvements that are happening in our present. What's an inconvenience today may actually, in the long run, become a blessing. So this morning, we're celebrating the good news that because of God's grace, we are all works in progress. And when we accept this truth, when we accept this newfound identity, we will be empowered to live more abundantly and more fully to God's glory. So I want to turn to today's scripture from the the letter to the Philippians, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, and then jumping to 9 through 11. Being confident of this, that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word to us this morning. Now, I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't first uh, unpack the context of today's scripture. So I'm going to kind of cover the basics. Uh, Let's start with, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Oh, it always takes me a while to warm up. Here we go. We, well, we use these words and we throw them around and, I, you know, we can't assume that. So Apostle Paul, what's an apostle? So to understand uh, Paul's journey, uh, Paul was um, part of the leadership in Jerusalem and persecuting the Christian believers um, uh, nearly 2,000 years ago. And, um, and he came, he then, radical transformation, he became a follower of Christ um, and becomes one of the most influential Christians in Christian history or all history. Why and how can I say that? Because believe it or not, there is no book in the New Testament that was written by Jesus, but 60% of our New Testament was written and or is attributed to being written by Paul. So one of the most influential uh, Christians. And uh, from his uh, transformation of of coming to faith, he traveled throughout the Mediterranean uh, and and planted churches. So, 30 years, I'm sorry, so, so the timeline is fun for me. Um, uh, Jesus, uh, around the age of 30, these are going to be soft numbers, not hard numbers, around the age of 30 starts his ministry. He does his ministry for three years. He's arrested and, uh, on, and, and crucified, and then three days later, he rises uh, from the grave. And so, not shortly after that, believe it or not, 17 years later, Paul is traveling the Mediterranean, uh, planting uh, churches and talking about this good news about Jesus Christ. And that's when he finds himself in Philippi. So Philippians, the letter, is, uh, the letter to the Philippians, those are the people, the believers in Philippi. So he first planted that church in about 50 AD, 17 years after these events. Um, and uh, you can learn all about this in Acts chapter 16. Um, I'm going to just skim through it, but it's, it's very, very dramatic. First is, you know, woman power. Uh, there's a, a woman named L- uh, Lydia that he meets um, on, on the day of worship on a Saturday. There's a bunch of women down by a river praying, and he meets his, his team. He's got folks with him. They go down. Uh, they meet her. She, uh, she is a very successful um, businesswoman 2,000 years ago. So that's just impressive. And how is she so successful? She's, she sells purple, purple cloth, which is, um, um, it's like the Gucci of 2,000 years ago. So I don't know. Um, so she's successful, and she comes to faith. And uh, the story goes on in chapter, Acts chapter 16. Additionally, um, there's, let's just say there's an opportunity to break out of jail because of an earthquake. Uh, they choose not to. Long story short, the jailer becomes, uh, uh, comes to, uh, to faith as well. And these are the two primary stories that allow us to understand what the, the, the beginnings of the faith community in Philippi. Where is Philippi? Philippi is on the north end of modern day uh, Greece. So all of this is to say that Paul was writing a letter to that community of faith. And he wrote that letter. Oh, this is, see, I just get excited about this stuff. Um, so he, he, he founds the church in about 50 AD, it's 10 years later that he, Paul finds himself in prison in Rome, and it's while he's in prison, they're called the prison letters. He's writing letters to the churches that he's established and sending them out, and one of these letters 
10 years later, is written to the church in Philippi. A letter to the Philippians. Now, why do I say all of this? Because uh, in the English language, uh, we often make the mistake when we're reading the Bible that we see that word you, and we think it's as if Paul wrote the letter of Philippians to me. Um, but we should see that word today in today's scripture, not as you, but as in y'all. Y'all, which of course is America's unofficial second person plural. So just quickly, let me quickly just gloss over this, uh, skim through this with y'all, <laughs> with you all. <laughs> Being confident of this, God who began a good work in y'all. Verse 9, this is my prayer, that y'all's love may abound more and more. Verse 10, so that y'all may be able to discern what is best, and so on and so on. So Paul is writing uh, this to a community of faith. And too often a mistake is that we take that word you in English and make it about, you know, us. It's about me. And it's not. So now that we understand all of that context, now I'm going to kind of flip Take a, a turn here, because what I'm going to do is I took the liberty then to take the biblical truths of this passage and apply it personally. So when you look at the outline today, if you're looking in your bulletin or like I said, on the Bible app, it says, for, it starts out, what is happening to me? Ideas that we're taking the biblical truths, the principles and applying them to ourselves. So number one. I am a work in progress. I am a work in progress. Now, I'm going to ask you to participate in an exercise with me. And I always get nervous when pastors do this, because if I wasn't a pastor in the front row, I'm usually the person in the back row that doesn't participate. So I know, just play along with me if you can. I'm inviting you to, to participate. And this is what I, I, I learned this, I, and, and I'm doing this because I, I read an article in January that has kind of changed my mindset. And that is, it's a breathing exercise. We just kind of breathe in and let it go. Now, the thing is, most of the time in our nervous lives, we breathe from our up here, and we're just kind of taking shallow breaths. When you, deep, when you breathe deeply, you're... All right, so the reason why we're doing this is that we're going to say to ourselves, take a deep breath in, I am a work in progress. Can you say that with me? I am a work in progress. Now, the reason why this is so important is because too often we are in a rush to get to our destination. And we kind of put on our blinders to truths that, is, that are actually happening right now. I'm a work in progress. And I hope when we do that, we can kind of come to peace and some resolution that guess what? We're not perfect. And maybe we can exercise a little grace with ourselves and we can exercise a little more grace with others, our spouses, our partners, our best friends, our coworkers, right? We're works in progress. We're not perfect. So, um, right, in, in the past, I'm going to very quickly, past, present, future. In the past, what? In our Christian faith, what we have is a faith in which God loves us so much. He sent his only son to us. And because of the work that he did on the cross, rising from the grave, all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all of the things that deep down we might be suppressing. We want to be perfect, but ugh, there's these things in my lives that are holding us in bondage, anchoring us down. We're trying to move forward, but we're feeling pulled back. God accepts us. 
we're a work in progress. God, it's been said from the stage before, God accepts us for who we are, but God doesn't leave us where we're at. Because of Christ, we're forgiven. And that's the seed of that first, um, first good work. The seed of the first good work is what God has done for us. And in the present state, we're a work in progress. And God is leading us towards a future state, more of which I'll talk about later. We are a work in progress. We are not perfect. But God is in the process of perfecting us. Now, what might this actually look like? Well, I thought of a, uh, a scripture in the Old Testament from Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet. Jeremiah was not a bullfrog. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 4. Uh, so the prophets, how does it work? So God spoke uh, thousands of years ago. God called the prophets to the nation of Israel. Again, plural, a y'all to call the nation back into his presence through the words of the prophets. So, Jeremiah 18, 1 through 4. This is the message that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Jeremiah, go down to the potter's studio, and I will give you a message there. So, it, uh, it goes on. So, I went down to the potter's house, and I saw the potter working with clay at the wheel. He was making a pot from clay. But there was something wrong with the pot being formed, so the potter used that clay to make another pot. With his hands, he shaped the pot the way he wanted it to be. So, uh, some of you know this. Uh, others of you don't. Why would you? Um, so, I, I love art, and that was instilled in me from an early age, and all through high school and even into college, I studied art. And I remember in high school, very... Uh, clearly, a strong memory is the day that our art teacher, we had this room with tables that we spent a lot of time painting and drawing and doing all the basics, but there was a day where she walked in and she said, hey, we're going to go next door, which was the pottery room, um, because there was a whole pottery class that people could do all year long, and she said, and we're going to spend the next three weeks doing pottery, and I was kind of bummed, but then I was like, well, I've never done pottery, I don't know. So went to the room next door and all of the class kind of got in and there was a, a, a pottery wheel on a platform that was the teachers and we were we all kind of sat down and you know we're high school students so the first thing you do is just start fiddling around with all this stuff you know there's anyway so like there's the pottery wheel and they were they, they were manual or I should say I don't know, ped um, because like it was this big concrete wheel that you just start spinning. So you know, the first thing we do is start sitting, you know, and, and it's got that rod that comes up with a second wheel, and on that wheel are concentric circles on it, and you know, we immediately just start messing around. There's some water over here and some tools over here, and then she goes, settle down, class. All right, and that's exactly what she sounded like. And she sits down at her wheel, and of course, hers isn't manual. She, hers is just like she flips the switch over here, and she says, okay, this is how we start, and the wheel starts spinning, and then she takes this huge thing of clay, and she slaps it down, pop, and then it's spinning, and then, you know, she puts her hands in some water, and she starts, like, just leaning into this thing, and one of the things she said is, like, when you're shaping your clay, you got to put your elbow into your hip, and then your hand on the clay, and then you start pushing it, so she's pushing it, and then she starts to pull it up, and it, and it, it falls apart, and then she's like... And then, you know, she has that moment of embarrassment because she's the teacher. And then she pulls it pulls again and slaps it down again and then starts all over again. That's what scripture says, too. And because the first one wasn't right. It's got to be reformed, restored, renewed. And, and she starts up and then all of a sudden it's like she, she puts her thumb down the center and she thins out the side and she pulls it up and she goes, now that could be a coffee mug. And we're like, 
Impressive. And then she destroys it again. And then she reforms it, starts reforming it. And then, and then she goes like this. And somehow she's like, and that could be your salad bowl. And she goes, okay, now your turn. So, okay. <laughs> and there's those concentric circles for a reason because if, apparently if you're not centered, everything will go wrong from that point on. So, right, I take my, <laughs> now it's not centered. So it's already going around. And, and then it's like, well, because we didn't know what we were doing. Like, I'm just going to force it to be what I want it to be. So it's like, okay. And then it's like, we'll pull it up. And then, you know, you, if you get it too thin, it explodes. Right? It's just a mess. This is the process of what Jeremiah, this idea that uh, this good thing is happening in us, a, you know, caution a work in progress. Like you go by that construction zone when you finally get through and wave through. Man, it's a mess. There's holes dug. There's piles of dirt. There's, you know, construction materials. It's a mess. Why is it that sometimes things need to become a mess before they can actually be improved? And this is what this scripture in Jeremiah is talking about, that God is reforming us, is restoring us. And it's a little messy. And honestly, when it's happening to us, because, oh, by the way, we are the clay, it feels painful. I forgot to, to say, when she started, she also pulled out this sharp, uh, I don't want to call it a knife, but yeah, let's just call it a knife. So as she was shaping it, it like there was, there was a little wobble to it, and she just took this sharp edge, and she just like laid it in, and then just cut off this thing, and went, nope, that doesn't need to be a part of it. God does that to us. There are things in our lives that actually we need to get rid of. <laughs> And there are times when God's going to say, nah, that's unhealthy. You're killing yourself with that thing, and we need to remove that, and it's okay. I'm going to do that with you. And, and what's so odd about our own psychology, going back to last week, if you were here with, with Ryan, you know, it's appropriate that we actually lament those things, that we're going to say goodbye to things that we think are good for us, that God is saying, no, they're not. And okay, let's lament that and then move forward. Other times, and, and I say this only because it's true, I know people who God does miraculous things. There's times that God can enter into our lives and like, you know, a, a well-trained surgeon, you know, with a, a scalpel can go into our lives and there's some th unhealthy things in our lives that God is going to remove and we're going to hardly feel it. We want the latter. Most of the time it's a lot of this. God is refining us and, 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 and restoring us. And I, and I want to continue because then I thought of my friend in Ojai who does pottery. And I, I, I totally forgot this part about pottery. And uh, because just recently he had a kiln installed outside of his garage and he's doing pottery out of his own kiln. And it was like, oh yeah, it's not done when it's done. Like you take the thing off and then you put it into a burning fire. <laughs> And elsewhere in the, in, in the Bible, it talks about refining fire. It talks about precious metals and how if you want to purify the metal, you, you put it through refining fire so that the impurities build off. Now, in this story, this is good. We are the precious metal. But, I don't know, it sounds kind of painful to be thrown into a kiln. <laughs> yeah. But, right, I was, again, I'm thinking about my friend in Ojai, and it's like when the work is done, several times a year, he takes his stuff to the art show in the park 
and you go to the park sh and when you don't know all of the process, you just see these beautiful pieces of art. I'm a work in progress. Let's take another breath. You were created to be a beautiful piece of art. What's happening to me? Number one, we are a work in progress, each and every one of us. Number two, God is growing me in love. God is growing me in love. And what I mean by this is that God is growing us in our capacity to love. Verse nine, Paul writes, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And when I thought about this, that I, I'm, I'm a visual. So the first thing that came to mind was, was the Grinch. The Grinch that stole Christmas in the 1966 cartoon version, right? You know that face. And if you remember the cartoon, like he's, he's a bully. He's a jerk. He's like being mean to the Who's in Whoville. But there's a transformation in that storyline. And when that transformation, if you remember the cartoon, his heart goes boom, boom, boom. It like, it grows. It grows three times. Yeah. Yeah. And so... I went back to that and revisited what is actually said in the narration at that point. And it says, and what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through. And the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. I love that. That's what God is trying to do with us, that our Love may abound more and more. Now, in English, uh, we have one word for love. Do you know what that is? Good job. Yeah, love. Thought I could trick you. Uh, in the original uh, Greek that Paul would have been writing in, it's the Empire of Rome, but they're talking and writing in Greek. Um, and uh, the word that he uses is agape. You may have heard that word before, agape. It's one of many words in the Greek language uh, for love. And agape love is simply a selfless love that is displayed in a way that is, invests in, in the well-being of others. Agape love is selfless love. And of course, that example is set for us when we understand uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as God's one and only son. It's a selfless love for the welfare of others, agape love. And so Paul is encouraging us to grow in our love for the welfare of others. It's not a selfish love, it's a selfless love. And he goes on to define this, and I, I, I wanna kind of work through this because it's a kind of an odd, it's a, it surprised me this week, it's an odd expression of how, or explanation I should say, of, of how our love can grow. So uh, if you can go to the next slide, please. Um, Paul, and, and I just wanna highlight these three words, knowledge, discernment and the fruit of righteousness and walk through this really quickly. First off, that our love may abound and abound more and more so that we grow in knowledge. And I've never, I've never really considered growing in knowledge an act of loving others. So that's what caught my attention. And then, um, you know, you see it sometimes in headlines and articles and stuff, you know, whether you buy it or not. But there's, there's this, some people are arguing in our culture that we are in an age of anti-intellectualism. And it always, every time I see anti-intellectualism, it rubs me wrong. And that is because 
of scriptures like this. Because as a Christian, it is my hope, and as a pastor, I want to, you know, infectiously, like, inspire you that I believe that we are called to be lifelong learners. We're never too old to learn more. And in my life, I have just found that sometimes I'm going, why am I learning these things? They seem so meaningless. And I have the opportunity and blessing as a pastor that sometimes I'm learning something about a topic over here that I, what does this have to do with anything I'm doing in my life? And then all of a sudden, two years later or you know, whatever, I'm having a conversation with someone over here and I'm like, oh, I know a little about that. A bridge is built or, oh, I can help you with that or I've been through that. So to grow in knowledge can be a foundational to our better loving others for their well-being. Never thought about that. So it's a building argument because so that, and then this word discernment shows up. I read five different English versions, and every time it came to this part of this scripture, it was worded differently. And usually that's kind of a red flag for me to kind of go, hmm, what's the original language. You know, everybody's saying it different. What's going on in the original language? And in, again, in the Greek, it, it is very foggy. It's a fog. And the best scholars kind of say is that what Paul is trying to describe here, <laughs> and this will sound familiar, when there are two strong opposing ideas that we work through them. And I can't say any more, like I can't really describe that more. But this is, but we gotta think through the larger argument. Love, agape love is a selfless love. How do we love others? Well, we're in, Paul's encouraging us to grow in our knowledge, why? So that maybe when there's opposing ideas, uh, where are there opposing ideas in the world? Anyways, that as people of faith, because of the knowledge and because of the faith and because of the good work that God is doing in us right now, work in progress, that we may somehow, for the benefit of others, find our way through it. You know, people say, you know, what's the meaning of life? It might be somewhere there. And then lastly, he talks about this filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is not to be confused with um, Paul writes in the book of Galatians, um, the fruit of the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Got to rattle them off quickly or I forget. Uh, I say them only to say that those are all qualities. They're characteristics. They're virtues that, that are from within us, that God is molding, that desires to, to grow in us. That's fruit of the spirit. And guess what? We're not talking about that because sometimes these two things are confused. Bottom line, the fruit of righteousness, bottom line, most scholars, when they look at the fruit of righteousness in comparison to the fruit of the spirit, is that the fruit of righteousness is basically like taking your faith, taking this agape love, this selfless love, and putting it to work. Do something with it. And we don't know. Like, we don't know what opportunities God is going to bring to us along the way. But as we do, as we're desiring uh, to grow in love so that it may abound more and more for the selflessness love for others. And as we're just collecting knowledge, whether it's through books or through experiences, whatever it might be, that God is going to use all that to take loving action on behalf of others. That's, that's the argument. That's Paul's argument here. That's the point he's trying to make. Okay, lastly, point number three, and I'm going to conclude with this. So far, it's been what is happening to me. 
I am a work in progress. What is happening to me? God is growing me in love. Lastly, it changes. Why? Why is this happening to me? It's all for God's glory. Verse 11, to the glory and praise of God. Uh, in the Christian tradition, we have uh, what are called creeds or confessions, and they're all just... Um, the tradition of the faith has formed different statements in different historical times to better articulate what it is we believe. And one of these statements is called the Westminster Catechism. Catechism is a teaching tool that was used in the church. And the Westminster Catechism was written in 1648. And its first declaration, first, first sentence, well, the question, and a catechism is a question-answer format. So what is the chief ends of humankind? And the answer is the chief ends of humankind is to glorify God. Where does that come from? It comes from scriptures like the one we're looking at today. Uh, Rick Warren, you may be familiar with him. Uh, he established Saddleback Church in Orange County, um, huge church, about 20, I think 27,000 members, multiple locations now. Um, and he also wrote The Purpose Driven Life, and the first sentence in his book is just a rephrase of the catechism, of the Westminster Catechism. First sentence in his book, chapter one, first sentence. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all to the glory of God. Um, you walk into a Barnes and Noble. <laughs> Remember bookstores? Remember when that was a thing? There's still Barnes and Noble in Westlake. Uh, walk in, and there's always different sections, history, whatever it might be, magazines, self-help. The Christian faith is not a self-help plan. Because the assumption behind a self-help plan, for, number one, why, why are people drawn to that? Because I think we are wired to understand, man, my life is not what it should be, and I want to improve it. Oh, the self-help section. Maybe I can find something there. But it's based on the assumption that we can improve ourselves by our own power. And if that were true, we'd all be better. And we're not. We keep weeding the yard and starting over here. And by the time we get to the weeds over here, we look over our shoulder and there's more weeds over there. It's maddening. And at some point, you have to surrender that process and go, hmm, maybe there's something else going on. I love the recovery programs. I love the 12-step program because, you know, the first step is acknowledging that you have a problem, and the second is recognizing that there is a higher power that can help you along the way. We are a work in progress. Warning, caution, it's going to get messy. But the inconvenience today in our lives of God's spirit, not our, by our power, but God's spirit working in us and through us, the inconvenience of t today and how uncomfortable that might feel, two weeks, two years, two decades, we're a work in progress. And God is building us to become the true pieces of art that he intended us to be. Amen.
Yeah.